Thanks for joining us for another Sunday morning message from City Church. City Church meets downtown Iowa City, Iowa on the Pedestrian Mall on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. DM us on our Facebook page for more information or go to our website at www.iowacity.church. All right, well, I just want to get started with the message today um, by reading a passage from the Gospels. Gospel of Luke, this is a a scene where Jesus is talking to a legal expert in the Jewish law. And you'll find the passage up up here on the slide. This is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He asked. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he told him, or no, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. How many of you guys have heard of this story before, the Good Samaritan? And how many of you just have heard the phrase, a Samaritan, or a Good Samaritan before? Yeah. So I looked up Samaritan in the Webster's Dictionary, and I thought surely it would say, a person who lives in Samaria in Bible times. And that is the second definition. But the first definition actually is a charitable and helpful person. So you may not have ever heard this story before, but you may have heard the phrase Samaritan or Good Samaritan, and it originates from this story in the Gospel of Luke that we just read together. And the thing is that a Samaritan was not necessarily a helpful or charitable person in this context. In fact, the Samaritan was an unlikely hero in this story of danger and peril that that Jesus tells. And so you might wonder, like, what would have made the Samaritan an unlikely hero? Well, it just depended on your vantage point, who was what Jesus was talking to. So Jesus was talking to this Jewish expert in the Jewish law, and he saw Samaritans as half-breeds. He was interested in ethnic purity. So Samaritans had, were, Jew, they were descendants of Jews who had intermarried with, like, other pagan cultures. They'd mixed the the Jewish religion with other pagan religions. And so Jewish people avoided Samaritans like the plague. They considered them unclean. They weren't going to have anything to do with them. And so if Jesus 
was telling this story today in 2022 in America, and he was talking, for instance, to like a political leftist, the hero in this story might have been an evangelical Christian gun-toting member of the NRA. Um, if Jesus had been talking to a right-wing Republican, his hero might have been a gay atheist environmental protection lobbyist. So Jesus, if you pay attention, is really good at annoying the people he talks to. He confounds them and when he gets practical about what it means to love God and love your neighbor. And that just brings me to the main, my main point for today, that the best neighbors take compassionate action on others, no matter who they are, without discriminating. In the last couple months, we've talked a lot about what it means to be faithful to God, to obey his commandments. And I said it this morning before worship, but I said it over and over. The greatest thing we can do is love God with everything that we are and love our neighbor as ourselves. And loving God is not just a feeling that we have. Loving God is demonstrated and shown through our response to him, through our obedience to him, through our action. Therefore, you know, if we're followers of Jesus, it is our business to figure out how to be the best kind of neighbor who takes compassionate action on others. But the problem is we tend to be really discriminating people. We split into factions very easily. Um, you know, there have been Supreme Court decisions in the last week, several that have been handed down, and many people have had significant reactions, different reactions to these different decisions. And at one point, I saw a social status that said, if you don't have the same opinion as me, unfriend me. You know, so it's very easy for us to dehumanize other people by reducing them to a political party or their belief about one issue. Um, we're pretty good at seeing ourselves in 3D. Like we're pretty good at seeing ourselves as three-dimensional, complex human beings, but sometimes when it comes to other people, we see them in 2D. We see them as flat characters, which is, makes it easy then to overlook their humanity. It makes it easy to overlook them as our fully human neighbors made in the image of God. A couple weeks ago, we were reading from Paul's letter in Galatians to the Galatian Christians, and Paul was talking to them about using this new freedom that they had in Christ to follow the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, and not follow what he called the sinful nature. Because the sinful nature, Paul said, is what leads to factions, and it leads to divisions, and it leads to <clears throat> envy and harm toward our neighbor. And he said, if you walk with the Spirit, you're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your relationships, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. So if we let him, I know the Spirit of God will lead us so that we all enhance the flourishing of our neighbor, whether our neighbor is radical right, left, gay, Christian, atheist, vegan, NRA member, immigrant, or any combination of those things. Because at the end of the day, of course, all of our neighbors are made in the image of God. So let's look at this story a little bit more. To, to, to start with, we have a critic coming in, talking to Jesus. And this critic is acting like he's really concerned about a spiritual issue, like he's really concerned about eternal life. You know, what's the eternal, the eternal life is like the eternal reward of, of being right with God. And so he's asking, how do you get that? And who gets it? But this guy is not a serious, sincere seeker. Um, this, Luke tells us he stood up to test Jesus. He wanted to see how smart Jesus really was. He wanted to see if Jesus could say anything wrong or heretical so he could play gotcha with him. And so he asks this question in kind of a sassy way. Um, 
Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, one annoying thing that Jesus does all the time is answer questions with questions. And so he answers this guy with the question, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And by the law, Jesus meant the Jewish scriptures from the Old Testament, probably the first five books of the Old Testament where the commandments of God are laid out. The Ten Commandments are found there as well. And so Jesus is like, you're an Old Testament. You're not, it wasn't the Old Testament then, but you're a biblical scholar. Why don't you tell me what it says there? And so the legal expert answers. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. It's funny how the whole exchange, it starts out as this test of Jesus and it turns into Jesus testing him, you know, and saying, hey, you got the right answer. But this legal expert is kind of bothered at the end of this exchange because the commandment is so broad. Love God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And he knows he's not loved all types of people as he loves himself. So Luke tells us he wants to justify himself. He wants to make sure that it's okay for him to love only certain neighbors as he loves himself. He wanted Jesus to give some more limits, like to shrink or minimize this requirement to his comfort level. And surely Jesus didn't think that everyone and anyone was his neighbor. And so he asks him, well, who is my neighbor? And the other annoying thing about Jesus is that sometimes he answers questions with stories, so it's hard to nail him down. And he launches into this story, and uh, I don't think he's annoying. I'm just saying probably the people he was talking to found it annoying. Um, So he launches into this story about a man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho who falls into the hands of robbers. Now, this is a treacherous journey. It's only 17 miles long, but this Jericho road, the 17 miles, it descends 3,600 feet in elevation, which means... You are descending 200 feet for every mile that you go. That's 22 flights of stairs for every mile that you walk. You're walking down. And yet there are no stairs, right? This is all terrain. It's rocky. There's no paved road. There's no concrete steps. It's twisty. And so um, wherever you go, there are caves. There are jagged cliffs and uh, mountain passes and hideaways where People would hide out just for the sole purpose of attacking a traveler. And in Jesus' time, this was known as the Bloody Pass because this was the place where people regularly died at night. And you can think of places in our country, uh, in some inner cities, where people are shot every night. There's a gunshot death. This is like that. Now, unsurprisingly, we hear Jesus say about the robbers in verse 30, they stripped him beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. And then we read in 31, a priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Uh, In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. These are men who deliberately see and then go go a different route. And these men ought to be the heroes in the story. They are Jewish men, a priest and a Levite, who this legal expert would think, They have some familiarity with what it means to care for your neighbor. They should know. Now, for whatever reason, whatever they're telling themselves in their head, they've come up with a good excuse not to stop. 
um, whatever justification they've done. Someone else is going to help him. I'm on my way to the synagogue. I can't be ceremonially unclean by touching uh, a person with a wound or a dead body. Um, we don't really know. Uh, but for whatever reason, they don't care for their neighbor through probably some self-justifying process. And I relate, and I wonder if you relate at all to being uncomfortable with some seemingly unreasonable demands or requirements of God from us or of followers of Jesus from us that we read about in Scripture. I mean, I've been around a long time, and I've been a Christian for a long time, and I've known people, and I've heard people, and I've seen people shrinking or, or minimizing a command of God uh, for, for the pure reason of being uncomfortable, of it costing so much. Now, there are good reasons for us to grow in our understanding of Scripture and grow in our understanding of theology. Sometimes we were raised in traditions where some poor theology was given to us, and it makes sense for us to be faithful and diligent in conversation with other believers and studying the scriptures to know like, ooh, that wasn't quite right. That doesn't really line up with the full biblical witness of who God is. Um, sometimes we see Jesus in the New Testament makes a comment about a command in the Old Testament and he gives it this reinterpretation. So um, there are reasons why we would change our understanding about something, but other times I think there's a tension in me, I think there's a tension in other believers, maybe it's in you, a desire to shrink the application of God's moral law so that it's just more comfortable. And, and I think we do it most when it comes to our sexual behavior, when it comes to what we do with our resources and money, and how we treat other people. Mark and I went through a season about 20 years ago where we didn't have a church home. We had this painful experience and we just hadn't found a new church and we stopped tithing. Like we'd always tithed. And tithing, if you don't know about that, it's this biblical practice of giving 10% of your crops or your income to God. The Israelites would bring 10% of their harvest to the temple and the priests would have something to eat and then they'd eat a feast there. And um, it was a, a biblical practice for how to honor God with resources. And the whole time that we were not tithing, I was seeking reasons why I shouldn't have to tithe, and I was seeking those theological reasons just because I didn't want to tithe. I just didn't want to, and I wanted to find a way to feel good about it and, uh, and not do it, like justify it to myself. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying, I think you're going to hell if you don't tithe, or that God's going to punish you if you don't tithe. Scripture says God reigns on the just and the unjust. Scripture says, you know, the sun rises on everyone, you know, so you may experience lots of financial blessing and not tithe. So I'm not saying um, that you're going to be punished. And very legitimately, there may be people struggling to feed themselves or their families. And so an invitation for someone like that would be give 1% of your income, give 2% and pray for God to grow you in the grace of giving. But if you're not giving for the same reason that I wasn't giving um, because you were seeking just to justify a reason not to just because you didn't want to, then I think you're in maybe that territory of the legal expert looking for a loophole, which is definitely where I was. Um, and I think all of us at times are tempted to look for loopholes, right? Guilty of maybe some mental gymnastics of shrinking the application of God's commandments out of a a self-interestedness out of you know self-survival instinct 
Um, on the night before his assassination, Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech, and he talked about the Good Samaritan. And he said a lot of people speculate about why the priest didn't stop, why the Levite didn't stop. And he thinks it really boiled down to one thing, that they asked themselves the question, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? What will happen to me if I stop to help this man? If I obey God in taking compassionate action on behalf of my neighbor, what will happen to me? What will happen to my comfort? What will happen to my sense of safety? What will happen to my reputation if people see me with him? And I think that that question of if I obey God, what will happen to me is at the root of any self-justification that you or I may do when we're seeking to minimize the application of, of biblical principles. What will happen to me or my relationship? And what will happen to my reputation if I'm seen with this person? Will my relationship be ruined if I, you know, wait to have sexual intimacy until I'm married? What will happen? Martin Luther King says the Samaritan asks a different question. He asks, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? If I don't stop to help him, what will happen to him? So he had compassion. He was able to see the situation from that perspective. And we read in verse 34, he went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. You guys might think it's weird he's pouring salad dressing on this guy, but the olive oil was soothing, the wine was an antiseptic. Um, so he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. This travel that he has to resume with this dying man is not an easy business. He makes himself even more vulnerable to attack on the road because he's got someone else now to take care of. Martin Luther King Jr. called this a dangerous unselfishness. A dangerous unselfishness. The care that he gives is dangerous to himself. It's inconvenient. It's expensive. The amount that he gives the innkeeper is enough for like three and a half weeks of lodging and food, meaning this man um, is so broken, he's going to recover for a long time, but what a costly amount of money that this Samaritan invested in him. So the Samaritan, he, he displays this mindset and readiness of a person prepared to love God with everything that he has, and his neighbor as himself, and because he's ready, he can ask that question, if I don't stop for him, what's going to happen to him? I think that... Uh, the, the man whose life that he changed forever, forever altered, forever marked by a grace that he couldn't earn and maybe didn't even deserve, for the rest of his life would probably tell the story of this radical goodness done to him, this great compassion shown to him in his darkest hour by a stranger. And how many of you know that that kind of experience changes a person? But it doesn't just change a person, it, it changes a community because that, that, that person then knows what it means to show great grace and compassion, what it means to save a life. I think that the legal expert here that Jesus told this story to probably felt chastened, probably felt rebuked or corrected by Jesus in some way. Maybe his self-interestedness was on, on display for others who are listening. And so if you were the legal expert, you might have gone away just feeling disgruntled or feeling pain or feeling the high cost 
associated with Jesus' words, but you and I, we all have the luxury of kind of taking a step back and looking at that big picture that Jesus paints. And his story really does show that when we love God with everything that we are and have and our neighbors as ourselves, we do have the opportunity to release the goodness of God into this world. And the world needs more of the goodness of God. Can you just think back for a minute to being the recipient of undeserved goodness? Can you think about uh, a good gift you could never repay? Maybe a gift of forgiveness or a gift of friendship that you didn't even deserve. Maybe you received a blessing from someone when it was more likely they could have cursed you. We observe the law of God when we release goodness to our neighbors. Um, as followers of Jesus, we are invited to partner with God in bringing his kingdom into the places that we inhabit, invited to restore goodness where it's not in the world, to be people who walk by the spirit through whom goodness flows. We may not encounter people on the street who are half dying every day. That's probably not gonna be a regular experience here in Iowa City. Um, we do encounter people though in our places of work. We also encounter people in the public square of social media. And yes, a lot of people are just curating an image, right? A lot of people just put up the highlight reels on social media. But sometimes we know that people are in pain. Sometimes they reveal that they're in pain. And you may not agree with their theology. You may not agree with their political views or decisions. You might even think that the current suffering they're in is a result of their poor decisions with their money or relationships or substance abuse. But what if you thought instead about how you could release the goodness of God into their lives? How might you show compassion in their suffering? And it could be just as simple as pausing to send a note. I'm sorry you're in pain. I'm sorry you went through that. I'm sorry that you're suffering. You know, is there anything you need? The world needs people who are going to cross these bitter lines of factionalism to empathize with people who are hurting. The world needs people who are going to reach out with other people they've never really gotten along with, with words of comfort and hope when they're grieving. The world needs people who are going to allow their entire day or schedule to be completely upended because of a dire need someone has so they can release the goodness of God by providing or helping. And the world needs people who are going to refuse to reduce the humanity of others to one dimension or two dimensions. Um, Caleb Kaltenbach said it's a quick and lazy fix to let the outrage culture determine our views of others. And I would add to determine our compassionate response. So the world needs us and God needs us to release goodness to our neighbors. And whenever we read a story in scripture, whenever we're talking or studying, I think it's really important for us to ask, how can I respond faithfully to this? You know, here's a story Jesus told 2000 years ago, but what is a faithful response on my part? How might God be working in us to change? So I just wanna invite you to consider a few questions today and feel free to close your eyes if you want, if that's less distracting. But the first question is, is there a place in your life where you've attempted to justify your behavior or your actions and been at war with what God might be asking of you? 
Is there a place in your life where you've sought to shrink the requirements of God? Maybe it has to do with your love for another person or group um, or what you do with your money or what you do with your body or how you're handling a relationship. Is there a place where you've sought to shrink or justify like the legal scholar? Now, the rebuke of God is a rebuke with kindness attached to it. Scripture says it's his kindness that even leads us to repentance, to change. So is God kindly showing you that you've minimized something he's asked of you, that you've self-justified how you've handled yourself or your choices. And if that's so, you can easily name that to God. Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. Give me grace to do it differently. Give me grace, give me grace to live into this full meaning of your commandment, to love others that really bother me as I would love myself. And then the second question is, what kind of goodness is God wanting you to pour out on another person or relationship? What, what goodness is God wanting you to pour out on a group of people, on a, in a relationship that you have, in someone you hardly know? I believe that the Holy Spirit will highlight people to us, will, will draw our minds to certain people. So what goodness is he wanting you to pour out? Maybe there's somebody right now that you know of. So I just want you to take a moment, like 15 seconds of silence. If there's something you want to name to the Lord that, you know, oh, I've missed the mark in this, or God, help me pour out your goodness toward this person. Just take 15 seconds to do that if you would. And then with all this in mind, I just want us to turn toward taking communion. And I certainly forgot to get communion elements. There's some over there. Does everyone else have them? Okay. Okay, good. Thank you. But we turn to communion where we remember this kindness of God shown in the person of Jesus. Kindness of God first appeared in the person of Jesus. The kindness of God to show up on the earth as a frail human being and pour out goodness on people, and love and forgive even in his suffering, even in this brutal death on the cross. Forgive the people who put him there. And this is the goodness of God, who would recycle vengeance into forgiveness. The Apostle Paul reminded early Christians of how Jesus instructed his followers to take communion. He said, on the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. Oh, sorry. Take the, take the bread, please. All right. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. So if you can open your communion cup, you can go ahead and, and take the, the juice right now.
We'll wait till the communion cup gets Sorry. open. It's okay. Should give feedback to the company. Okay. Why don't you guys join with me in praying for a moment? Father, we thank you that you love us and you made us for yourself and that when we were subject to sin and death, you sent Jesus and to show us your goodness and to share our human nature and know what it is that we struggle with and, and fight with every day. So we, we ask, though, that by the power of your Holy Spirit living in us, you would refresh our bodies, refresh our minds and our hearts as you send us out to do this work um, that you've given us to do. Amen. I want to invite you now to, as we turn our attention outward to the rest of our days and weeks, I want to invite you to pray the prayer of St. Francis with me, and the word should be up on the screen. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope where there's darkness, light, and where there is sadness, joy. O Lord, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it's in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like more information about our City Church community, go online to www.iowacity.church.